welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith's weekly sermon podcast. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Ecclesiastes, Life Under the Sun. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 12 through 17, uh, just as a quick recap. So this is the third sermon in the series on Ecclesiastes. We had an introduction and looking last week at a bridge between the first and second chapter. Today we're only going to look at a couple of verses in this, but I think you'll see why we're isolating these verses before we move on uh, to the following. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 12. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head. But the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance seeing that in the days to come all who have been all will have been long forgotten how the wise dies just like the fool so i hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and a striving after the wind the grass withers the flower fades but the word of our god will stand forever let's go dependently to him in prayer Oh God, you are source of all light, and by your word you give light to the soul. So we ask this morning that you would pour out upon us a spirit of wisdom and understanding, that being taught by you in Holy Scripture, our hearts and our minds may be open to know the things that pertain to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now if I were to ask you, what is the one thing about Solomon, for which he was famous, what would you say? Well, I would imagine that you would say wisdom. We even use an idiom, the wisdom of Solomon. That's what he was known for, and for good reason. Because if you were to go to 1 Kings and to look at the fourth chapter, here is what you would read. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men. And his fame was in all surrounding nations, and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Scripture tells us that no one was wiser than he And so, it should not surprise us then that Solomon returns to the topic 
of wisdom. In fact, he does it repeatedly within Ecclesiastes, considering wisdom, its presence and its absence, its advantages and its limits. Here, he provides a comparison, doesn't he? He compares wisdom with madness and folly, arguing that wisdom is preferable to foolish behavior and ideas. That's a no-brainer, right? Wisdom is preferable to foolish behavior and foolish ideas. Well, that's what Solomon discerned. Here, Solomon sees that life is vanity, he says. But at the same time, he says, but it's better to live a life with wisdom than a life full of folly. But he adds to this that wisdom has its limits. Wisdom beats folly. But death beats wisdom and folly. Death always wins. The wise dies just like the fool. Life then inevitably concludes. But then he adds to this, so does the world's memory of you. That's gone too. Whether wise or foolish, we're forgotten. Just as I can only name only a few of my ancestors. And incidentally, so I've created an account on Ancestry.com. right? Maybe you have too. And I've done the DNA test. I'm, I'm refreshingly Scottish. And... Um, and I've done this test, and I'm looking at all the different parts of, of the family tree. I know none of these people, except it's really cool. A lot of them were named John. But I'm looking back at the family tree, and I think, wow, how quickly we're forgotten. And I'll be part of someone's family tree as well, and I'll be forgotten as well. And this truth is remarkably frustrating, leading even to despair, because we tend to associate significance with remembrance. But the sobering reality is, the legacy we leave is but a mist, carried away by the winds of time, leaving us perhaps, like Solomon, pondering life, and in some cases, loathing this life. Now, if you have noticed, or if you haven't noticed by now, part of Solomon's intent, that's why I hope that you're working with us through this series in Ecclesiastes, if you haven't noticed by now, one of Solomon's intent is sobriety. He is leading us to wake up to the brevity of life. Wake up to the insignificance of our legacy. To wake up to this reality. And to do this, he leads us to consider our daily lives and ask the question, what's better? Or that's at least how I'm framing the question. What's better? And so you're going to help me here. We're going to do a really quick quiz. And all the kids in school just went, what? I thought school was almost over. A quiz? Yep. Work with me here, folks. All right. First question. What's better? Insight or ignorance? These are easy questions. 
What's better, knowledge or stupidity? Good. What's better, understanding or confusion? And so what's better, wisdom or folly? Okay, good job. I'm not as worried as I was after that first question. But if you answered insight, knowledge, understanding, wisdom, so you're in good company because here's what Proverbs says. Proverbs says, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. And it goes on to say, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge. And the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. And so it's good. For us to have wisdom and insight and knowledge and understanding. But you've got to ask the question, why? Why is it better? Why is wisdom better than folly? Why does what Solomon say, there is more gain in wisdom than in folly? Now, while I've got you thinking about this, the why question, I want to answer it in part this way. And I want you to think back with me to creation. Solomon has described in his first chapter that creation is not chaotic, but is ordered. It's almost as if someone created it. Oh wait, he did. He created it. It's perfect by design. And scripture says that he upholds it moment by moment by his providence. Proverbs reveals, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. And so if you think about it this way, if the earth was created by God's wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, we may discern that it continues accordingly. If creation operates according to order, then we might also deduce that life under the sun, to use that idiom of Solomon, or life under heaven, to use that other idiom of Solomon, in this life, in this fallen world, we may presume that life, well, it, it proceeds in a certain way. We would say that wisdom is better than folly because wisdom reflects God's design, His order, or theologians would say God's economy. Solomon emphasizes this truth by comparison, doesn't he? He compares it the difference between light and darkness, between day and night. Wisdom shines like daylight, so to speak, on the way that we are to go, while folly is as dark as a starless night. Now, when in doubt, Solomon says, Proverbs says, Psalms declares, choose wisdom when in doubt. Now, it's no guarantee that where you're going that you will get, but at least you'll know you're on the right path. Wisdom provides that clarity. But wisdom is also gained because it is typically rewarded. And Scripture says that wisdom is typically rewarded by God and by man. For example... When the Proverbs tells us that living wisely is rewarded with a long, peaceful, and prosperous life, we know that this is at least how it is supposed to be. Again, according to God's economy. Now, we also know 
that Proverbs are not promises. They're not guarantees. The Proverbs are truisms. And contrary to what the world would have us believe, wisdom, according to God's Word, typically wins. Wisdom typically wins. But not always. And that's wisdom too. Jeffrey Myers explains it this way. Quote, Not everything can be fixed. Not everything is a problem to be solved. Some things must be born, must be suffered and endured. Wisdom does not teach us how to master the world. It does not give us techniques for programming life such that life becomes orderly and predictable. In other words, what Myers is getting at is wisdom has its limits. And it is this realization that leads Solomon, the wise, to, as he says here, I hate my life. I'm not sure he said it exactly that way, but that's the sentiment. When he comes to terms with this, he loathes it. And so may we, when we consider this topic soberly. If we live a wise and faithful life, we want, think with me about this, if we live a wise and faithful life, we want to reap the rewards free from problems. No problems. Nobody likes problems, right? And we want it free from suffering. And we also want to live, well, just a happy, prosperous life, right? Forgetting that the life that we live is a fallen one. This isn't Eden. Amidst his suffering, righteous, and I might add wise, Job deduced almost the antithesis of proverbial wisdom when he said, man is born of a woman, is few of days, and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. And, and who wouldn't say that in Job's situation? But what happened to Job, think about this with me, what happened to Job seems so irrational, so contrary to God's design. How can a man famous for his piety be plagued with suffering? Granted by God. What we want is to live in a world where wisdom always wins, all the time. What we want is we want to live in a world where folly always fails, all the time. Life shouldn't be this way. And that's Solomon's point. It shouldn't be this way. But it is. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes, quote, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, something cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And Lewis nails it. 
That's exactly right. But then he goes on to say this. He says, probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care. On the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings. And on the other hand, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy, echo, or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. You see, Solomon's frustration and your frustration and my frustration is this life under heaven isn't heaven. And the more we try to make it heaven, the more we despair. But when we live as sojourners with gratitude for what God has given, yet longing for home, we find that our perspective of life under the sun changes. It changes. Now think back with me. I've taken you from creation in Genesis 1. Now think with me to Genesis 3. The bad news. The greatest cataclysm in history, in the history of the world, think about this, happened in the serenity of a garden. We don't typically think of it that way, do we? A cataclysm. It's a bomb. It's an explosion. Well, an explosion happened in Eden, but it was silent, or at least hissing at the sound of a serpent's tongue. Temptation was offered. God's covenant was broken. Man fell from grace. Death displaced paradise. The fall ruined it all. And now, the wise and full alike have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, the wise and full alike receive our inheritance, the due wages that we have earned. Death. All go to the grave. We are from dust and to dust all return. As we sang earlier in Psalm 49. For we see that life is ending. Wise and foolish all will die. They must leave their wealth to others. None can death's demand defy. Death as we say is no respecter of persons. Wise and full of like. At this point, I want to welcome you to Covenant Presbyterian Church, where we're spreading rays of sunshine and happiness. It's really sobering, isn't it? And as I said, that's what Solomon is doing here. He is trying to sober us up to look at the difficult parts of life. And then to ask, okay, what's the meaning of it all? What's the meaning of life? And maybe, you've heard this before, maybe you might say, well, perhaps the point is to make a memorable mark on this life. To leave a lasting legacy. To be remembered. 
And this is the rallying cry of graduation speeches, right? Or around that time, and if you've ever attended a graduation speech, typically a high school graduation speech, but college too, the general theme for like 100% of them is what? Go out there and make your mark on life. Be remembered. That was one of the quotes, boring people are never remembered or something like that, to which I wanted a bumper sticker to say, you know, I always like the bumper stickers that will never get made. Like, no one will remember you. That, on the back of the bumper sticker. But, but that's, kind of, <laughs> that's kind of Solomon's bumper sticker here, so to speak. What is the meaning of life? What are we to draw from this? The intent, of course, in graduation speeches is noble, but to a certain extent, it's misleading. I mean, think about it this way. And I know you're students of your Bible. Just a little bit of Bible history here. Think about Israel's son, Joseph. Joseph was a faithful child. Joseph was morally unimpeachable. Joseph was prophetically gifted. He was administratively skilled. And he was used by God, literally, to save Egypt and the children of Israel from famine and financial ruin. God used one man to do all of that. And yet... Despite his wisdom and despite his honor within one generation after his death, he was forgotten. The man who saved Egypt, the Pharaoh didn't even know him. He was forgotten. And the same could be said here for Solomon. If you know your Bible history, you also are seeing a little bit of this start to show up. Solomon, who was gifted with extraordinary wisdom, and he reigned, this is undebatable, he reigned over the greatest era in Israel's history. There's no second place. But he, like every son of Adam, died. And the wisdom he gained was not granted to the fool who followed. The legacy that Solomon left was a son who could neither discern wisely nor rule righteously, resulting in a divided kingdom, rampant idolatry, and civil war. Rehoboam's life seemingly fulfilled the consternation of Solomon that we're reading here. The wise king left a legacy, didn't he? A fool. Now, it's at this point, we might be tempted to think that the best one-sentence summary of Ecclesiastes is, life stinks and then you die. But it's not. I told you that a couple of Sundays ago. That's not the summary of Ecclesiastes at all. But at this point, you might deduce that. Why? Because what Solomon is doing here is he is sobering us up to the fallen human condition and showing us the limits of wisdom and legacy. Rather than preaching, to a certain extent, what Solomon is doing here is he is reflecting upon his life and he is revealing his loathing of life because wisdom, while remarkably helpful in this life, doesn't answer the ultimate questions of life. The man gifted of wisdom from God learned through wisdom that wisdom alone, or through wisdom alone, he could not know God. Knowing God is not gained but given, not achieved by wisdom or works, 
but by grace. If our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, yet we are fallen in sin by nature, thought, word, and deed, then we too should loathe life. And so what's the point of where Solomon's taking us? J.I. Packer asks these questions and provides the answers I find so helpful. What were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the best thing in life? Bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else. Knowledge of God. Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? And we who were made in God's image were made to know Him, to reflect His glory with the life He's given us, to find pleasure not outside Him, but in Him, and to find it forevermore. And this we do not gain through worldly wisdom, but only through the wisdom of God Himself. Let me explain. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, explains that the wisdom of God is Christ Himself. Which is why the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then Paul goes on to ask the church these questions. So where is the one who is wise? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And he answers the rhetorical question. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For we preach Christ crucified. What led Solomon to loathe his life was the realization that he was looking for life in this life instead of looking for life in the Lord of life. What Solomon faced is not unique and it's common to all of us. How often do we look for significance in the wisdom and ways of this world when all that we need we have in Christ How often are we frustrated with this life because this isn't heaven? How often do we pursue gain in this world forgetting that the way of the world is death, but the way of the cross is life? Jesus said this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Indeed, the greatest gain in life is given. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let me pray for us. Our gracious God in heaven, as we consider this sobering passage, we thank you that you do not leave us there. 
that you do not leave us to wallow in worldly wisdom and the woes of this world, but that you direct us to Christ. And just as you pointed Solomon to the promise that would be fulfilled in the Messiah, so also you point us back to Christ and Him crucified. And we look to Him and Him alone for our salvation. And we look to Him, as He said, to have life and to have it more abundantly. We thank You, Lord, for the Lord Jesus Christ, wisdom from heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org. Thank you.